underwhelmed. Hi everyone and welcome to Hit the Apex this week. Following the Singapore Grand Prix, it's the uh, flyaway season once again in Formula 1 as we're counting down towards the end of the year and the championship, if you still want to call it a championship as well, um, yeah, it took a big big turn in the favour of Lewis Hamilton at the Singapore Grand Prix as well. We'll talk all about it. We've got Sandown to discuss as well for the Supercars Enduro Cup as well and plenty other things around uh, the world of motorsport this week. So yeah, Baden, we had the Singapore Grand Prix on the weekend. It promised so much but delivered so little and in the end, Lewis Hamilton back-to-back wins in Singapore, back-to-back wins um, going back to Monza and he was peerless and now he's got a 40-point lead in the championship. Yeah, suffice to say, I've already purged it from the, the memory bank there and the, the balloon's been pricked almost 12 months to the day from last year for Ferrari. The, those wheels have really just come off spectacularly, you could say, since Vettel's um, real brain fade at, at Germany. And you look at those stats now, Hamilton, four of the past five Grands Prix uh, victorious. It's pretty almost impossible to see him throwing this one away he's made so few mistakes to Vettel so he's really got a hope for for some sort of reliability issue and that's really difficult to to see on the basis of what we've seen really since Austria that's that's the one and only time Mercedes has looked like they've been vulnerable and ever since then Hamilton's just gone from strength to strength yeah strength to tr- strength and capitalizing on where Ferrari are not making inroads I mean we've said for a while now they've got the fastest car but then this time in Singapore we didn't even see that and Singapore is a circuit that typically is favored Ferrari over Mercedes and Mercedes ironing out those deficiencies they've had over the past few years and I guess what was the season-defining moment from the weekend was uh, the pole lap that Hamilton took to reach pole position. It was six-tenths quicker than Sebastian Vettel, who ended up third um, in qualifying, which we wouldn't have said coming into the weekend, and in a dry session too. So that was probably the most telling part of it. And Seb's weekend just didn't really go anywhere after that crash that he had on Friday practice. So I guess the time he lost from that can be attributed to the fact that, yeah, he was really nowhere. But to have the gap out to 40 points now, it's just, um, yeah, how do you see Seb clawing it back? That's going to be a big talking point moving forwards. Between that and maybe um, not paranoia, you could say, but a little bit of doubt perhaps between Vettel and Pitt Wall. He's always questioning the decisions and you can see the way they placed him out in the, the traffic in qualifying, whereas Mercedes were meticulous with... Hamilton and he did the rest for, for Vettel it doesn't take much of it to to go against the, the grain and he just seems to fall right off the the pack and you can't say he did a lot wrong on race day he had a very very close call there to end up in second but it didn't work out with the, the attempted undercut there and that's just another case where Ferrari again way too soon instead of letting the cards play themselves out they they, they take matters into their own hands, whereas in the past it seemed to almost be a a disaster to say that, oh, well, um, they're just going for something and hoping for the best. Now they're just almost um, scared into the, the state of just saying, we've got to do this now, otherwise what's going to happen 10 laps down the track? And it's, it's not with Mercedes. Hamilton's so clinical that they're just giving it to him on a string. Well, yeah, they're lacking that confidence, it seems, with the strategy. And um, Vettel blasted past... Verstappen on the first lap, um, which was, you know, we thought that here we go, we're in the, f- he's going to be in the fight here. But then, yeah, as you say, that failed attempt at an undercut for not the first time this season, and it happened in in Monza as well, if you remember. And yeah, that's what pretty much ruined the race for him. And then stuck in third, it was a processional one, two, and three. And the only time there was a bit of trouble at the front was when there was lapped cars getting in the way. But uh, yeah, you know, then Verstappen finished a daylight second as well ahead of Vettel. So the fact that the Red Bull was quicker as well on the day in race trim than the Ferrari just spoke volumes to where they were this weekend. They were just nowhere. Yeah, it makes really a mockery of the entire form guide when in years gone by Mercedes were looking pretty much unbeatable at every race we thought probably up till mid-season that Ferrari had overturned that but you go now and you can't come into any weekend and say oh well Ferrari's looking good after Friday so they're the team to beat Mercedes seems to have um, really found that um, the mojo again to be able to develop cars on the the fly and again for Hamilton he just needs a sniff of that momentum and he takes it to that 
next level. Whereas as Vettel, he seems at this stage again, just the doubts creep in and that just um, inhibits the entire team. Yeah, you thought it would have got better after Monza, but no. And given that this was Ferrari's track or whatever, and they've lost here, it, it is pretty you got to look towards the future a bit skeptically now and to see how can Seb overturn a 40 point deficit now Christian Horner pointed out after the race um, when talking about it that in 2012 for example um, Seb had a 42 point deficit to championship leader Fernando Alonso after the Singapore Grand Prix and within five races he was able to turn that around so could that be an indicator if Seb can find the form that he had in 2012 for example I mean he won four consecutive races to be able to do that and you know the best since then um, ever since he's come to Ferrari he's only ever strung together two consecutive wins so could he perhaps go on a run like that you know I mean circuits like Russia, we've got Japan coming up, and then uh, Texas, which has been a fortress of Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton in the past as well. He's going to have to win at these venues, and I think Suzuka could be, and also Russia could be circuits that suit Ferrari, but it's just about stringing together the, the whole weekend mm, and getting the strategy right again. Notwithstanding that uh, Ferrari weren't in the position Mercedes uh, this season and the previous four where they're, they're pretty much um, the ones to beat on any given weekend when they mightn't have the all-out best package when it comes to execution. They leave nothing unturned and you can see that Ferrari back in those days, Alonso was pulling off some Machiavellian stunts to get himself just to, to be in that uh, contention for the finale. So it's really wishful thinking to say that Vettel's going to be able to just go and bang out four or five victories and Hamilton might be pinching minor placings. I think uh, oh, at my. this stage it'll be maybe even if anything, but Hamilton's got such a lead there that it's um, it's too late, too far gone. Too far gone, yeah. So, But we'll wait and see. I mean, there's still however many races remaining, so we can't really just give up and let's pack the bags right now and just stop caring about it. So elsewhere in the race, though, we had chaos on the first lap. It was only one safety car that came out, and that was because... Uh, Checo Perez ended up shunting his teammate into the wall after turn three. So Esteban Ocon's life just goes from bad to worse, uh, not finishing the Singapore Grand Prix. And Perez, I guess, a bit aggressive during this race. He was made angry, I guess, through a strategic error from his team that put him behind the Williams cars after his first pit stop. Then he was upset about Sorotkin not letting him through, even though they're driving for position. Then he ended up tagging Sorotkin, which uh, Perez got the drive-through penalty No, no, for. no. According to Force India's Twitter feed, though, Sorotkin ran straight into him. That's like what we need to believe. Like a torpedo as well, they because, said. Because clearly, uh, alternative facts, it depends on perspective. And if you consider their account to be the, the true well, one, then he never went, ran into the Russian at well, all. Well, that was deleted straight away anyway, that tweet. So, the, but now that it's out there, everyone knows. But it almost seemed like a Sebastian Vettel uh, style hit from Baku uh, last year on Lewis Hamilton. So a bit aggro there from Checo. He finished P16, so no points for Force India after the run that they've had since um, Belgium. But, you know, poor Sergei Sorokin involved in so many incidents during the day. He had um, a five-second penalty for shoving Brennan Hartley off. Then he was involved with Roman Grosjean as well, which Grosjean got a five-second penalty for. And Grosjean, I guess, in a lot of trouble. He's nearing a race ban, it seems. For the second time in his career. For the second time in his career, because um, what happened is that uh, he was getting in the way of the leaders and Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen were not quite happy about that. And Grosjean just trying to hold his own ground. To be fair to Grosjean, it's a bit of a jungle there. And when he's got traffic around him, it's not the easiest, but he does have to understand that context and you could see Hamilton out of nowhere that four second lead was down to about two tenths and Verstappen even had that semi-opportunity didn't um, probably wisely so he held back but you could see that that really um, was unacceptable from someone with such experience there so it's a shame for the Frenchman considering that he's he's rediscovered his touch a little bit in the past five or six races but you wonder whether if he does cross that threshold for a ban, whether that could be the decisive factor, whether he is retained for next season. Yeah, well, he's having to do a lot of work to justify his place on the grid for next year. And personally, um, we've sort of agreed, haven't we, that we'd like to see someone else in that half seat. But, you know, if he does, given the state of the silly season, but if he does enough, I wouldn't be opposed to him being there anyway. 
But yeah, a lot of chaos there in the minor, not even in the points placings. These guys were outside the points pretty much the whole time. And then, yeah, being lapped by the leaders too. So taking it back into the points, we had a late charge from Kimi Raikkonen, which wasn't enough to pass uh, Bottas, who was P4. Then Daniel Ricciardo, race of status quo, he stayed sixth. I guess good to see Ricciardo actually finish a race for the first time in a How the mighty fall are yeah. now celebrating P6 when it was looking like he might just have a chance of being in the title frame after Monaco. Yeah, exactly. So the fact that his... End to the end to his Red Bull career doesn't look as glorious as we would have hoped it to be. He's still got a few races to go, but Red Bull themselves, I guess, with Renault, they're talking about switching back to the B-spec engine for Russia, whether that's going to um, fix their reliability, the problems that they've had over the past few races with that Renault engine. I mean, and remember Stapp- the Renault... Verstappen's got to take a penalty, I believe, now for Russia. There was talk that that was on its last leg so the, the end of this tenure with Renault can't come soon enough yeah I think, for so Red Bull. the fact that you know that tenure is coming to an end as well they're probably just waiting for the final race to be done and over with and to start anew with Honda next year without um, these reliability issues that shouldn't be plaguing them this late into the hybrid era when you look at Mercedes and Ferrari and how bulletproof they've been touch wood this season it really is just striking for every weekend it does seem since uh Austria, really. Um, well, this was the first time, I believe. What's that? Nine or ten races that we've had dual Red Bulls in the points, and that's really hard to believe, considering they've won three Grand Prix this season. So, I yeah, think the only team to have both drivers win races this year as well. So, I think it's just a shame the way it has petered out there. But at the, at the same time, you can see that relationship they're building towards the future so they probably won't lose too much sleep with third and the constructors secured so we we did hope Singapore would have been their opportunity for a win Verstappen really he, he drove his um his legs off there to get a p2 so you can see that they're still maximizing opportunities with with what they've got to work with yeah with what well, that's the important thing so even though they've just not given up even though they hate Renault basically um, they've done it all year um, Force India, their implosion, I guess, allowed a couple of Spaniards to finish in the points too. So P7 and 8 for Fernando Alonso, Carlos Sainz. Important to point out too that this is the first time since Melbourne that McLaren were actually the best of the rest um, behind the big three teams as well. So I guess some crumb of comfort for them, even though going into Russia, they're probably going to struggle, even though they're talking about having some radical setup on their car to try and um, get through those high-speed corners. But yeah, you know, on the low downforce, or the high downforce setup, uh, low-speed setup here at Singapore, I guess they weren't, a, they were able to capitalise. And Stoffel van Dorn missing out on a point there with Nika Hulkenberg taking 10th. And he and Marcus Ericsson did a late-stop strategy um, and we're in contention for the point. But, yeah, that Renault getting in there for 10 to score a point, pretty um, crucial. So Renault, I guess, uh, shoring up again that um, best of the rest moniker in the Constructors' Championship. And then Charles Leclerc, ninth as well again for the Sauber driver. Yeah, well, back to Alonso. Really just pleasing to see him bank another haul of points and just showing again that... Um with what he has on on his part to work with there, that he's pushing it pretty close to Hulkenberg in that um, tier two of the standings, and it's just been overlooked really since that news came through that he's he's on his way out. But he's still as competitive as ever, and they've got nothing to lose for for Russia to to try something extreme. And chances are it won't come off, but I'm sure it'll be music to his ears and and Van Dorn's who really can't take a trick and. They're both just marking time at this point, so you hope that they do move on to to better things, perhaps both of them stateside in 2019. But for Renault itself, you can see that they've really flown under the radar. They just keep chipping away with points without being anything too spectacular, and they just continue to build, and the signs are in another 12 months, they'll be perhaps ready to take that legitimate jump to be a a top three contender. Oh, yeah, going back to that, um, it was interesting watching the Daniel Ricciardo interview with Sky Sports over the weekend on the coverage, and Ricciardo saying 2020 seems to be the year that they're going to take that leap into podiums even, so that's pretty bold stuff coming out of him to, to think that next year that the likelihood of a podium is probably going to be 
um, you know, on the off chance that given circumstances like a crazy race of Baku or a Brazil for it to happen. So, you know, tempering his expectations. So is 2020 really the year that we can expect Renault to be regularly on the podium, perhaps in contention for a win? But I'd like to be surprised. I'd like to see Renault make huge gains over the off-season if it's possible and to, for them to be in contention come next season for podiums. Nice to be surprised, but you don't want to set that bar too high. And for Ricardo, he knows what he's getting himself into there. So 12 months, it's probably not going to be anything uh, greatly of a step down on what Red Bull will achieve with Honda. They'll be feeling their own way in. So he's prepared to wear that. And again, he extracts the maximum out of what he's got there. So if anyone can pull it off, if Hulkenberg can't, then I'm sure that if uh, an opportunity is there, Ricardo will be able to at least get a, a minor placing at some point next season. Yeah, exactly. So that'll be um, worth looking forward to next year. But while we're still on this year, um, just coming out of Singapore, 40 points now in the championship. Uh, yeah, a lot needs to be done, I guess, from Ferrari and Vettel's side. It's, it's, I guess you wouldn't want to rule them out this early, but yeah, it looks like, you know, Mercedes don't have to do a lot more to claim a fifth title for Lewis Hamilton, but, you know, it's all for Ferrari to play for at this stage. Yeah, the next doubleheader, Russia and Japan, if that lead hasn't come down, much less stabilised, then it's almost lights out completely. Uh, just from the uh, momentum of, um, you could say, uh, getting some sort of consistency there, the way that they've floundered, race to race, no real purpose or, or direction. Um, I think that Hamilton at this stage just has to be nearabouts and we saw on the weekend the didn't even have to get to that point on race day. He just uh, strategic calls and, and Vettel making those errors earlier in the weekend and really from there he, he again takes it to another level and that's when uh, he's probably in that um, equation, you could say, Hamilton as best driver of all time. He really enters that air, not all the time, but when he does, uh, it's quite scary to witness. And, and Vettel just doesn't seem to be able to channel it and often enough when he really needs to. Well, this is the thing about Vettel is that we saw him waltz to four titles consecutively. Yeah, he had the best car as well, but all those other things about making errors and mistakes, that wasn't, we didn't see that in that time at Red Bull. Very rarely we saw him make mistakes. I think 2010 was probably the season where he made the most mistakes en route to that first title and you even said that if he hadn't made those mistakes, he probably would have won that title um, with races to spare instead of winning it in the last race and being an outsider to 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 it in 2010 so yeah what's ch what's changed i wonder is it because of the team the team mentality uh were red bull more polished than ferrari i mean i, I wouldn't be opposed to saying that or agreeing with that statement that yeah perhaps ferrari just are not as polished as a mercedes or a red bull when it comes to that sort of thing all that talk of Vettel having to dictate the strategies from the cockpit, it's hard to know really what to believe. You'd think after this time you'd have confidence, whether it's a matter of him having doubts or Ferrari legitimately disappointing Vettel and Vettel just knowing better. But uh, it's something that if they really want to take this seriously after what they learned last season, uh, back to the drawing board because it really looks like it's, again, too late to salvage 2018 yeah exactly so they're gonna to have to really work over the next few races and as you say i didn't even realize it was a double header coming up again so that double header is going to be really crucial russia japan so before we sorry before we leave singapore altogether um drivers of the day i guess uh, hard to ignore max verstappen on this one he did a really good job to finish second and um you know i guess ever since you look back at his season narrative and how it started off with the criticism about his driving style and um, how he was just crashing out and just you know we thought is he really mature and then ever since uh, he won in Austria that you know he's been a lot more calmer and a bit more composed and he's had more podiums and everything I guess he hasn't had the ill fortune of unreliability on his side like his teammates so it just begs to why you beg to wonder where whether if Ricardo had been reliable all this time where would he be in this equation too but yeah between the circumstances you could say since Ricardo announced he's on his way out you can see that Red Bull has squarely put its focus on to um, Verstappen you can't really 
say that's the reason why Ricardo's continued to flounder when reliability keeps. Yeah, reliability is the thing. You know, that's why I'm saying if if he hadn't had those reliability issues, it'd be interesting to see whereabouts he would be against Verstappen. Nevertheless, you feel that Verstappen's probably got the the raw edge in terms of of pace on him now and that maturity which has come since that pretty shambolic opening four or five races he had. He had the, the red miss moment at Italy, but uh, other other than that, you could say that he really looks like 2019. Who knows where they'll be with Honda, but he, he seems to be now in a position where the team can form a, a championship bid behind him without thinking that he's going to go and... Um, you know, been into turn one trying to go for a move on the fourth lap when he's got an entire race there to bide his time. I think at this point he's able to play that long game and he seems to acknowledge that. So it's pleasing to see his development. Yeah, if he can continue doing that, then yeah, as you say, they can really get behind him as far as the championship's concerned as well. So we'll move it on into the digest. And while we're on still talking about Singapore, I guess, um, Toto Wolf came out after the race and said that um, the win for Hamilton, I guess, in Singapore si- should silence his critics, talking in particular about Hamilton's lifestyle and the fact that over the past few weeks since Monza, he's been a bit of a busybody going to Shanghai, to New York for a f- uh, fashion show and also to launch his own uh, brand or, sorry, his own label with Tommy Hilfiger as well. So the fact that doing all those things and still coming to racetracks and winning Grand Prix convincingly and not on a whim either with some fierce competition um, from the Ferraris, you know, it just seems that Hamilton is a really in a really good place and that's where he's at his most dangerous, you could say. At this point, and stretching back to 12 months ago when he skipped that F1 Live event for some sort of party in Greece, you can't argue that as long as that balance is in check and he's 100% switched on to uh, race mode when he's at the the circuit that he can do as he pleases and it seems as though that's really enhanced him um, from where he was a few years ago uh, particularly when it was with Nico Rosberg and we had all that uh, instability and the the paranoia which seemed to creep in he's he's probably changed a few things up and really developed that interest in the, the fashion alongside the music scene and as a result now he seems like um, he's able to um to have that off switch when he's away and then he comes to the circuit and everyone says, oh, where's he going to be at? And maybe a few times earlier this year, he he was a bit doubtful, you could say. But again, um, once he gets to that stage where he can see that the lure and the, the light growing closer, then he just hits that switch and he takes his game up another 10 or 20% and no one else can go with him. So I think that um, there's no reason for for that to anytime soon be called into question again. Exactly. So we can put that debate firmly to bed and everything. And now, you know, on the cusp, I guess, of under fifth uh, world title as well. So he's going to equal the great one manual Fangio and then be two titles away from Michael Schumacher as well. So, yeah, you know, and all whilst uh, being basically a celebrity as well. He's certainly... uh, reinvented the wheel you could say there in terms of f1 in terms of uh, what it's seen as from the outside um lifestyle wise since center again there's always been that parallel and even michael schumacher didn't draw this kind of publicity so down the track you can see hamilton's going to be remembered for generations to come not just for what he does in F1, he's certainly transcending those barriers now with his interest outside of the cockpit. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we were talking before about LeBron James um, about to star in a sequel to Space Jam. How long before uh, Lewis Hamilton will be the star of his own movie as well? So, of a Hollywood film, that'd be hilarious. Yeah, you can see it coming by... I don't know, four or five years after he's retired, there'll be a biopic and the way he's talked in the past, wouldn't be surprised yeah, he if he was. wants to make it a, a proper film starring himself rather than being a straight-up documentary. Yeah, exactly. Get a And he'll star as himself, I'm guessing, as well. So, you know, uh, if you remember, he was in the Zoolander sequel as a cameo. So, you know, that's, I guess, the start of something else for Lewis Hamilton there. But bringing it back to F1 um, and staying on the topic of Mercedes, so Pascal Verlein who's long been a Mercedes junior driver, has decided to break ties with Mercedes in a bid to land an F1 seat elsewhere. And that um, is rumoured to be Toro Rosso. So um, the rumour about is that Toro Rosso will sign Verline and have Danny Kvyat return 
for to their lineup next year. So, you know, I guess an important move in the career of Verline. He spent two years, uh, one year with Manor, who was with Mercedes, and then with Sauber, and then was unable to find a drive for this year, went back to DTM with Mercedes, and then DTM, they're quitting at the end of this season. So, you know, I guess there wasn't, it was a dead end really for Verline being associated with Mercedes. It's a shame that Ocon hasn't come to that conclusion, otherwise he could have been the one with this seat. And you have to say on the balance of what you saw when... They were, were they teammates for half a season? Were they 2016, am I right in saying? Yeah, yeah no, so. at the Manor seat. And you can see that Ocon stepped straight in mid-year there from Belgium and seemed to be superior. So on that basis, both as the juniors at Mercedes, you have more faith in Ocon and based on what he's shown this season in trying circumstances, that as much as it's hard to walk away from that backing, if he was bold enough to make that own decision, then he would be probably the number one candidate for that seat instead of Verlein. Yeah, exactly. And it just opens up the freedom as well to other seats too. We heard Zach Brown from McLaren say that if... Ocon didn't have that Mercedes backing, then they would have picked him definitely over uh, promoting uh, Lando Norris. It's the fact that, you know, being a Mercedes-affiliated driver means that somewhere down the track that Mercedes are going to want Ocon back into their fold. So rather than... And you kind of have to agree with Brown on this, that, you know, if they're trying to build a team for the future, they want a driver that's in it for the long run if they're going to keep him long term and I guess Mercedes like we see with um like we saw with Carlos Sainz this year being loaned out to Renault if you know Red Bull wanted to they could have easily just said right you know with um Ricardo moving on next year we we're going to put Sainz back in the Red Bull but then Sainz broke ties with Red Bull to be able to go over to McLaren so I guess it's a a posit- it's got a lot of positives and a lot of negatives too, being affiliated with a manufacturer or with a brand, as you wrote about this week as well. Um, and at the moment, we're seeing a lot of the negatives come out because of it. It just shows the inherent flaws in both F1 and these programs from the manufacturers that they've got all eyes on the, the titles and they have the breeding ground there of these um, this talent that's ready to come through. But when... You reach a clot at the top and no one's moving on. Um, what do you do? <laughs> They've got well, yeah, absolutely you, nowhere to be shifted, well, and all yeah. that investment just suddenly goes down the toilet. The money and the the time it just seems like it's completely null and voided. Yeah, well, because with um, the like, if you've got Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas at Mercedes, neither have done anything to warrant being moved on. Um, well, Hamilton obviously, but um, Bottas, I mean, he's not been driving too badly to warrant being moved well, on. He, he wasn't driving badly at all until he was called the wingman and made to sign up to a very subordinate number two role yeah. for an extension. You can say since then the results speak for themselves. But, but you know, it's then, no reason to move him anyone. on or whatever. And then Ferrari, I guess you've got to take your hat off to them on this occasion, they've actually, for the first time, I think for the first time ever, they've actually promoted one of their own juniors to the Scuderia itself. So, you know, they've done it. Red Bull have done it, but not as often as they should have. And now what they've ended so many drivers' careers that we've ended up with a lack of drivers in that junior pool for them to choose from with the guys like uh, that Dan Tictum and um, another guy who's racing in uh, F2, a Japanese driver, I his name escapes me, but Matsushita, you know, Matsushita is it? Not Matsushita, but um, you know, they're not even qualified to be able to make the jump into Formula One, so that's why they're having to go back to <laughs> somewhat ironic. Let's get someone who was in our academy nine years ago, or yeah, two Brendan years Hartley, ago, but whatever then, it and might Danny Kvyat, who was sensationally sacked, of course. But on the subject of Kvyat, it's actually interesting to hear that Franz Tost is a big fan of him. It's um, and he wouldn't have. If it was left to his own devices, he wouldn't have got rid of Kvyat in the first place. But because it's Helmut Marco's agenda, that you know he ended up being moved on that time. But you know, anyway, that's that's the state of play at the moment. And going into the next thing that I want to talk about too, um, uh, which I've written about today in regards to IndyCar. So Scott Dixon claimed his fifth IndyCar title on uh, Monday morning. Um, with Alexander Rossi, I guess his hopes having been uh, destroyed with that first lap collision with Marco Andretti, he couldn't really make it back from there to to challenge to finish. So you know, I guess the end of a really good season though for Rossi, but without a title. But Alexander Rossi, you know, he's another guy who's just escaped F1 because 
um, there's no room for him. And, you know, it was unfortunate that Haas came out and Gunter Steiner said that, oh, you know, there's no American drivers qualified enough to, to race for us in F1. Whereas, you know, look at Rossi's performance in IndyCar this season. It totally warrants him being on the F1 grid. But the fact is that it's not going to happen. And now F1's lost uh, a super talented young driver to another championship. And this is not I'm not detracting from IndyCar. I think it's a great championship. But yeah, you know, wouldn't you rather see him in F1? Same with Van Dorn, who looks like he's going to go to IndyCar, as you said before. Fernando Alonso, we all know that story too. You can only hope that F1 learns from it. At the same time, uh, Haas or whoever might have been interested in Rossi couldn't have been certain of his ability until he did make that switch and he wins the Indy 500. And now that consistency where he's a legitimate championship contender i'm sure that he's very happy where he is in his homeland but you see for that future talent it's a huge market that they've struggled to to really penetrate stateside in the the past few decades so it'd be high on liberty's priority list to to foster a talent there alongside that miami grand prix which is a couple of years away to get some some project driver that's from the ground up that can really um be a a long-term proposition for formula one and isn't just bandied around in the the minor teams. But then again, I guess the uh, appeal of IndyCar has probably gotten bigger over the last few years, especially since reunification and now attracting guys like Fernando Alonso over Robert Wickens um, to the championship as well um, at the start of this year. You know, So perhaps the appeal of F1 might not be as desirable as it was to many of those young open wheelers. Maybe they want to pursue a career in in IndyCar. So, you know, you can't really take anything away from them in that case. But it just goes back to F1 then trying to recreate that appeal and make sure that it is doing all it can to foster through this talent, which, you know, I mean, it's it's going to suck um, not having a con on the grid next year. And Verline it'll be good having him back, but, you know, the lack of Ocon, the lack of Van Dorn. I mean, when I wrote the article today, I was talking about how, you know, it almost seems like the class of 2015 from the GP2 series has now gone to IndyCar. Van Dorn was the champion that year. Rossi was the runner-up. Um, you had Pierre Gasly that year. He's now going to be with Red Bull. Sergei Srotkin was there that year as well. So, you know... What is the point of GP2 then if these guys aren't like I guess Leclerc and Gasly? They're the is people you can say yet yeah, they're with top teams now or will be next year. But you know it almost seems like it skips keeps skipping a year or two before we get that happen. Between that older crop who until probably this season we saw the way Massa and Button and Co departed and now we've got Raikkonen who remains on the grid but ejected from the Ferrari seat they the next crop get the opportunities but by and large it's maybe two to three at most out of the 20 or so and of which probably half of them are worthy of at least a chance in f1 just to see what they're they're made of and then if you are the champion then uh, you're automatically booted out of that you can't retain your defend your title in in f2 and you have to go and find an alternate seat and suddenly you fall right off the map it's really one that they've got to got to solve whether it's that third car notion or something that involves them a lot more directly with with a, a more immediate future in F1. Otherwise, again, it comes back to that development idea from the manufacturers themselves that it's a path to nowhere despite the talent they might have. Exactly. So, you know, we're going to wait and see what happens with those uh, remaining seats on the grid. Williams, I'd like the idea of having Ocon and Russell together at Williams. I don't know why more people aren't talking about it. Maybe it's because of the fact that Sorotkin and his Russian investors bring a lot of money and their Williams need that money. But then again, Stroll, in leaving Williams, will be having to pay out a huge sum to them as well. So, you know, I like the idea of having Ocon and Russell together at that team, effectively a a Mercedes B team, but, you know, not much is being said about it. So there's not really much to hope for in that instance. Bit of an impasse there. They really need to, again, assess it for... 2021 and make sure that there are alignments whilst these independents can retain some autonomy that it makes it sustainable for them in a way that they're not having to just go to the highest bidder they've got the best drivers there and they're they're suitably recompensed via those engine gearbox agreements whatever it might be as an incentive to make them legitimately competitive so they're not just in it as some sort of feeder team to a a yeah no for williams in particular yeah it wouldn't be nice to have them just there 
purely as a feeder team, but, you know, to be able to foster someone like Ocon there, you know, he's a super talented driver. I'm sure he'll get results for the team too. And ultimately results is what they need and to drive the development forward too. So, you know, um, that's basically it. <laughs> yeah, vicious cycle until they sort that one out. It's going to be rinse and repeat. It's sad that they haven't really quite learned over the past decade and it's crept in more and more so to the stage now where we're seeing the drivers and that depth which has probably been enhanced in the past five years or so but they've just got nowhere to go literally even if they're they're driving the house down they just find that by default um, the end of the road and it's just a sad state of affairs exactly so let's wrap up the digest anyway talk about a couple of other things so jensen button we had him win his first super gt race over the weekend at the sportsland sugo circuit um in that honda that he's driving and important to point out too that this is his first win in any category since 2012 the brazilian grand prix which i'm sure he would have been relieved about relieved about to have um as well and um yeah given that he's had such a tough tenure for the last few years with McLaren in F1 and how his career ended basically with no further success to add to that 2009 title and the the wins win tally that ended um, come the Brazilian Grand Prix in 2012 I'm sure he would have been relieved to have that and it's good to see him out and about in the world you know doing Super GT and also World Endurance Championship in LMP1 with the uh, SMP team just seems to genuinely enjoy his life again and Alonso's already had a a slice of that he's had more immediate success from his part-time forays whether it's to WEC or, or IndyCar and he's got the hint pretty quickly that there's there's greener pastures there you can only hang around for for so long and, and you can't blame them at this point because they've both been patient and, and for McLaren they've got to be just almost looking on enviously at these drivers obviously happy for them that they've been able to at least rediscover their success but they'll be hoping themselves at some time in the future that they'll at least get some taste of it again um, as a team yeah as a team hopefully in the near future they'd be hoping for it because you know how long can they go without having won so that 2012 win of course was McLaren's last win as well in Formula 1 so yeah they'll be itching to finally get up back on the rostrum as well and finally too so just from a broadcast perspective and whatnot. So Fox Sports are launching their coverage of the Bathurst 1000, which is in a couple of weeks' time. And for the first time, the race will be seen with no ad breaks and no, you know, uh, what, what do you call it? The picture-in-picture um, picture. Picture picture commercials that they had over the past few years, which was really annoying. But also for the first time in glorious 4K. So I'm kind of bummed For those who are privileged, that is. It's about 5% of the population, yeah, you'd probably, say. Yeah, And maybe 2% of them will be watching Bathurst in 4K. So, you know, I really wanted to get my hands on one of those TVs and um, upgrade the Foxtel as well in time for the summer. But yeah, you know, Foxtel didn't really make it easy for me to try and even make inquiries about upgrading. Sell your liver on the, the black market and you're talking. Yeah, sell your liver on the black market then also try and, um, you know figure out what they're trying they're trying to upsell you something you don't want blah 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 anyway that's my little gripe about foxtel over for the moment but yeah it'll still be really good not being able to have ads in the coverage as well it's going to make it harder to go for toilet breaks as well i'm sure during the it's a good problem to have though good problem to have though yes i can't wait hopefully the weather's like it is today sun shining we'll be sitting indoors beers on the couch and Bathurst that's it's it's all it's what it's all about and sounding a bit like a certain Mark Robinson now just getting rabid <laughs> frothing away <laughs> oh I like it Jared it's great <laughs> yeah, just getting worked up like a wind-up doll yeah, exactly sort of shaking the mountain Conrod oh. and and all the, those classic corners where the rowdy crew at the, the top might just um get a bit raucous once they've had a few tinnies when they get their allotment of a of a case per day each, whatever it might oh, be. Oh, yeah, if they don't go and bury them in the uh, in the dirt a week earlier. But it's going to be really good this year. We found out, too, that um, Ford Performance in their uh, tie-up with Tickford and um, DGR Team Penske next year, they're going to be bringing their uh, Le Mans-winning Ford GT a car um, to do some uh, demonstration laps with Ryan Briscoe at the wheel as well. So Briscoe returns to the mountain as well. The last time he was there, I think, was with Russell Wingle back in 2013. But yeah, that Ford GTE car, I really love that car. And for it to come and cut some laps of the mountain is going to be epic to watch. Hopefully they have it on TV because we won't be there 
of course. But yeah, talking about Bathurst, then let's talk about the lead into Bathurst with the Sandown 500. And yeah, you know, unfortunately you weren't able to be with me that over the weekend, but you know, it was still a great race weekend. And I'm sure you were able to watch the replay. In Saw the, the majority, yeah. yeah. A weary uh, Sunday night review. But I've got to say on the whole, it looked like a, not the most enthralling affair, but certainly one where one particular team made a pretty emphatic statement. Yeah, it was more like a dominant statement with a historic 1-2-3 for Triple Eight, um, And also on the 15th anniversary of their um, arrival into supercars, it was actually at the Sandown round 15 years ago that they actually had their first ever round. So, you know, congratulations to them. Jamie Wincup, Paul Dumbrell... They've been a bit lost over the last couple of years, but this was the form that we saw from them in 2013, 2014, when they dominated the Sandown 500 there and finishing, you know, a daylight first ahead of uh, Shane Van Gisbergen, Earl Bamber in his debut race on the podium too. And nice to see Cray Lowndes and Stephen Richards up there as well, third. You can definitely say that again, they've timed the run to perfection, whilst there's got to be some doubts from. DGRTP, the reality is uh, still very much in the game and doesn't take much to go either way at, at Bathurst and McLaughlin still formidable for, for one lap for qualifying and shootout mode. So they've, they've really just got to maintain a level head and, and really get to Bathurst, even if they're not on the top step, at least thereabouts, and they've still got a bit of time to, to make it up. But the signs do point towards Triple Eight. They've just, um, they're on all cylinders, almost like you see with Mercedes and Hamilton peaking at the right time, and then they become that on unstoppable force over really over a decade now. And their car speed has just been phenomenal. Like ever since, I guess, Taylor and Ben, you could say, they've just had that speed and that edge over um, the DJR team. And their form slump, I guess you could say, continues. Scott McLaughlin finished fourth in the end, but on a mighty 25 seconds behind Jamie Wincup, and all weekend he's, he was complaining about having a lack of straight line speed. So for the first time, I guess, you know, we're seeing that new ZB Commodore, uh, first time since the start of the season, really come into its own again. And the, I guess the, the outgoing Falcon, as it is, the FGX, is starting to struggle a little bit. And hopefully it's not a sign of what's to come for the rest of the season because we want to see this championship go down to the wire in Newcastle. But if Triple Eight are pulling ahead, you know, it could be game over for McLaughlin and going into Bathurst as well. He's already said that they're worried about, you know, how the form's going to be going there. But it's Bathurst. Anything can happen. Probably uh, regardless of how the rest of that season transpires, the shift of the Mustang can't come soon enough. And you do wonder whether they're attention's been diverted almost too much from the the title bid towards that development and they've got to draw that line where where they've still obviously when the, the injuries come around that that takes precedence but you do wonder if next season is suddenly the the first consideration and perhaps it's just uh, come at the detriment of of a really a package there that's been around for quite a few years and you do wonder whether it's just run out of steam a bit too soon to hang on for a, a title yeah certainly hope not in that case but um Bathurst will be more telling but you know given the unpredictability of that race it's Friday Saturday doesn't really count it's about who's on top on Thursday and if they can as long as they can hang in there and be there at the end of the race and score the points that's going to be the crucial thing for the championship as well so um another talking point was retro round and I guess you know even on TV, watching it on TV, you can see that, you know, it's supercars has really embraced it for the Sandown round. It's It started off as a bit of a gimmick, you can say, but I guess it's not really anymore given how um, how it's embraced by everyone, the liveries that they do every year for certain cars, the tribute liveries, and then trackside, they have those active activations, they've got competitions and everyone dresses up. It's really good to see a bit of a a blast from the past and seeing kids as well embrace it too it means that the sport has a really rich history and the fact that if kids can tap into it it shows that you know there's going to be a lot of fans moving forward so yeah i think it was a it's a great idea and it's working really well it's just a shame when sandown finishes um in a couple of years time whether they're going to keep retro around or not it's built nice over the past few years and sometimes it does flow over to 
to Bathurst, you see some teams that li- uh, livery can be really popular and they'll, they'll keep it for the, the great race. And it does make you wonder again whether F1 could ever get in line with it with Liberty and get around all that contractual um, imbroglio with, with old sponsors not wanting that association and wanting the, the payouts to, to have the tie-ups there. But it's something that would have a lot of um, nostalgia on the, the Formula One front to see some of those liveries going back to 70s and 80s in the... The Halkeon days when they really got on board for the first time and they were a lot simpler back then and not the the real glut of um, indiscreet um, sponsors from far ends of the world that you see and it has to suit their particular need for a, a colour scheme and you can just see that that classy elegance simplified in, in supercars, it does have a, a place and it, it knows its place without saturating the sport. Yeah, someone like a Williams I guess would be perfect best suited for that retro thing you know they could pick one of many iconic liveries to use as part of a retro round if they ever did it in f1 so you know it's just yeah it's there you know who knows whether they'll do it or not but i'm sure a lot of people will probably criticize it and say that yeah it's it's a bit of a gimmick you know that it shouldn't be really um thought of for f1 as well but yeah you know we'll just wait and see but uh, it was great for sandown and for supercars anyway and i guess just the laid-back attitude of supercars in general probably it suits it so you know whereas f1 a bit more uptight you could say with all that and certain parties are not probably as accustomed to that sort of thing anyway so work in progress work in progress melbourne weather another talking point so we had sunshine on friday it was like 20 degrees 22 degrees i think on the friday saturday it hailed so that caused a lot of chaos during the qualifying races and we saw you know um strategic tire choices and whatnot was just all over the place and then freezing cold on sunday so even though the sun's out i'm standing there with my camera all day and by the end of the day no joke my hands were numb i couldn't feel them at all because of how cold it was it was like it felt like it was nine or ten degrees during the day even though the sun was shining and we didn't really have any uh weather about just one of those novelties where melbourne throws everything up and all things considered you can see they did well to escape some major carnage in previous years even with perfect conditions has been really chaos you see on the back straight there most years someone's in a, in a big wreck so Going everyone behaved turn. very nicely when you when you look at it all and um, probably for the best keeping an eye out to Bathurst the repair bills aren't too severe yeah well also given that um, turn four usually causes a bit of chaos as you said and at least I'm grateful that this year we got to the full 161 laps, in, unlike last year where, you know, we had that race shortened ultimately because of the crash for Todd Hazelwood and the Tim Blanchard car. So, um, yeah, going into Bathurst, of course, the having the repair bill not there is going to be good. But then Bathurst as well, last year we had rain throughout the whole day and basically caused chaos everywhere. So hopefully we're going to have a bit more... Um, I guess a bit more less the chaotic race but more intriguing we don't want to see just one driver walk away with it no that's often the thing it's a bit of a slow burn and sometimes it's not like um, 2016 when the first 100 laps was a procession then we'll be quite satisfied exactly so yeah and then quickly to wrap up the star looking to a star of the future so Will Brown was the, probably the standout rookie for me over the weekend um, notwithstanding Earl Bamber of course but he's hardly he's a well established driver in the world of motorsport but Will Brown who in 2016 won two championships in the same calendar year the Toyota 86 series and the Formula 4 Championship. He's partnered up with Anton Di Pasquale, who's done a really good job too as a rookie this season for Erebus and finishing 12th in the end, those guys. And, um, you know, Brown, he's been aggressive all weekend. So he's been quick during practice, but also in the qualifying races, he was just really muscling his way through the grid, fighting those established guys and guys who've been... um, co-drivers for a long time as well so and that's really good so we've got a new young driver to look out for i guess in the future you'd hope he's ushered through sooner than later i guess grm is the number one candidate when you see that they let the new talent come through the ranks not before their time but as a breeding ground they're happy to give that opportunity and then you've seen as well Chaz Most the way he came through and he's blossomed just needs the right package now so you hope Will Brown 
on what he's shown, he'll get a full-time gig sooner than later. Exactly. So, yeah, let's um, wrap things up anyway. And uh, things that stood out to us this week in the world of sports. So, obviously, the footy's coming to an end. We've um, got the prelims this weekend. And next weekend, it'll be the big dance grand final in both codes. So, you know, Collingwood, they were able to pass... Um, uh, and get in through to the prelims. It was a good game on Friday night. So what about this Friday? Yeah, I think all attention in the town will be on that sellout within five minutes or so. A bit of a shame, the debacle that has been the entire final series, essentially. Just um, you have to be a member, and even then you're still being gouged. And if, if there's a chance of getting a seat afterwards, then you have to take out a mortgage to get a, a nosebleed seat. So you can see that, that that's always going to be an issue. But as far as a viewing spectacle, the uh, first time in, I think, 38 years that Richmond and Collingwood have met in a, a final. So it's going to bring the house down regardless of the outcome there. And from a, a completely biased perspective for Collingwood, not overly confident but optimistic and as long as they they're on their game and the previous two times they've played each other they've been right with Richmond till the final break and with a few star players back in the the side I think that there is a potential to take it all the way to the siren and the rest is down to them yeah exactly but it's going to be mouth-watering I guess the Friday game more so than the Saturday West Coast Melbourne one but um with the NRL as well, Friday, Melbourne versus Cronulla, that's going to be a big game too, given that those two teams have a genuine hate uh, hate, hate rivalry going on as well. So, you know, that'll be good to have both those games going on yeah. in the background. Billy Slater's final game on home turf. As well, um, final game for Billy in Melbourne. So there'll be a lot riding on it. And could be either the final game for Billy Slater or Luke Lewis as well, who is retiring at the end of the season for Cronulla. So, you know... Let's, I guess, before we wrap things up, do our do some predictions here. So across both codes. So starting with the um with the AFL, who do we think will make it through this week? Oh, put us on the spot now. Not want to jinx it either way. Just a oh, just you know. I think being realistic, it'll be Richmond and West Coast, the two upper home notional teams, will get the job done. But wishfully thinking. Collingwood and Melbourne, that would be something to salivate over. And then NRL, Melbourne again uh, against, you'd like to think the Rabbitohs are there. That would be a great grand final, mm-hmm. even though the the, um, the fact that you, if you had, say, the Roosters there just for Cooper Cronk against his old mate or his old mates across the board with Melbourne, that would also be very intriguing. Yeah, there's a lot of good narratives to think out of there. And I'm thinking more so, even though West Coast have been pretty strong in this back part of the season. I think for some reason Melbourne might get the job done given that, you know, there's probably a lot more emotion riding there for them. And then, yeah, I think Richmond might be just that a bit, that touch better than Collingwood, but I'd like to be proved wrong in any aspect. And yeah, I think Melbourne will overcome Cronulla. Cronulla with their injury woes at the moment could be a bit underdone. Melbourne, of course, have had the week off too. And then, yeah, South Sydney over the Roosters as well. I mean, Roosters are... Not under strength, but the fact that they're missing Latrell Mitchell and Dylan Napa still, I think they're not going to be able to put up with the likes of a full-strength South Sydney with the likes of uh, Greg Inglis, Dane Gagai, a fired-up Sam Burgess as well after the um, controversy that's gone on over the past few weeks. So, yeah, I think that'll be a, a fairy tale for South Sydney, like you said, with if Cooper Cronk makes it, but for South Sydney with their new coach as well. If it's... South Sydney versus Melbourne again, you know, given that Anthony Seabold, the South's coach, was actually the apprentice of... Everyone's uh, got a sentimental tie to the other. Yeah, basically. So, master versus apprentice in the grand final, that would be something. So, yeah, we'll leave it at that then. I think either way, even with vested interests aside, as long as there's a a good spectacle and they're not over at half time, that's all you can ask for from finals. And it doesn't really matter who you support. It's all getting immersed in the occasion and it's always a showstopper regardless um, and probably more so than the grand final from a a complete passionate perspective it's where everything seems to be left out there and grand finals one way or another half the time end up being one-sided affairs so this weekend for exhilarating games in the next 48 hours or so exactly so we really look forward to it but um other than that We'll be back next week to preview the Russian Grand Prix and hopefully two cracking grand finals. And that's about it for today. So thanks for joining us and we'll see you guys next time. Till then.